celebrate with us and so they're buying pizza so next week after church there will be pizza and drinks and stuff you can take it outside you can just take it to go if you want but it's their gift in a sense for letting us they want to celebrate with us that we sold the building and the money so that's next week there will be pizza after church so even if you're not staying take pizza and go because so I'm going to order a truckload because they're paying <laughs> uh, so we're going to finish up Ephesians 3 and before we start how many of you guys ever played video games I hate video games. So I play video games because I'm a youth passion. You have to. And I am awful. I want to throw things through walls. I want to kill people because I can do it in person. I cannot do it with my fingers. So it drives me crazy. But as we look at the talk today, I want you to think about in video games, I think you progress. So like you, can, you, you sort of level up, so to speak. And it's sort of, as we look at this passage, I want you to think about it. This is sort of what Paul is also talking about as we read this passage or look at this passage today. You sort of level up in your life with Christ, or your life with the Holy Spirit. Just a quick side note, so I was so bad at video games. We used to play a game called Halo, and back in the day, you used to hook up computers, you hook them all together, so I had cords all in my house, and like 12 hours or 16 would play. They would always put me on the best team to even it out. Because the more you get killed, the worse it hurts your team. And so literally, I was told numerous times, please go hide in the corner. <laughs> in the game, don't come out. But, but so as we look at and we're going to see a progression now. I'm just going to put it out real quick as we start. So in verse 6, it's always used by the word that. And so it would be in verse 16, the first part of 17, first part of 17, uh, halfway through 17, and then in 19, halfway through 19. So it starts off with this. And so just so we know, for this reason is the very first word. And it's reminding us when we talked last week that Paul was going to do this earlier in Ephesians. And he got sidetracked and started talking about something else. And now we're back to he's going to do this prayer for what's happening. And typically, it goes off, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so I want you just to recognize, for Jews, that would have been weird. They didn't, they didn't bow to pray. They stood to pray. And so it, just, it sort of just pointed out, maybe this is a little bit more a sign of humility, maybe a little more sign of urgency, some reverence. Just, it sort of would, they would notice that's a difference. Like, we don't, they, they stood, not kneeled. 
Then he uses a phrase from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I think this is such a great phrase because it's also reminding us, which we know that Paul's talking about throughout the book of Ephesians, Jews and Gentiles are now together. They're one. Like they're all one under the Father. And so it's just that phrase that we are all under the Father's name now. So we're not separate anymore. We are both Jew and Gentile are one in God. And so I just want you to recognize that. But then at first 16, it starts with this, that, and then he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may, dwell, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the, his spirit in your inner being. So this is sort of that phase one, I would call it, our progression one or whatever you want to be looking But that according to his riches, I want you to understand something. His riches are unfathomable. I have a brother who's a doctor, and he's married. He has no kids. They have no kids. And so his gift to any cousin in the family, I have four brothers, so anybody who has a child, when they graduate college, he will take them on a trip. Mm-hmm. Now he'll take them. My, my oldest went to Czechoslovakia in, in Germany. The other one went to uh, Scotland. A couple other ones are going to Greece. And I just want you to compare, like, if I was doing this, say I volunteered to do this, we'd be going to Kansas City. We'd be in McDonald's three times. I mean, it's all experience explained. But so the, just the thought is when we talk about giving from his riches, I mean, like, God is giving incredibly a lot, right? I mean, so it's not like he, we're all doing the same. He is abundantly generous in what he's giving. And this is, and he's talking about, so you will be strengthened with power through, the spirit, through his spirit in your inner being. And the word strengthen there is literally has the, the Greek word is sort of like a, an idea of fortitude. It'd be like gearing up to take a block or, I don't know, I mean, like if you're a shopper, gearing up for Black Friday or something, I mean, like when you just the fortitude, it's not necessarily your strength and strong, but you, you have this fortitude to resist the devil, right? To fight against the things that are coming at you, the temptations. And so what he's saying is the spirit, you are given a power through the spirit in your inner being to sort of start that. Do you think that's phase one when you think about it? We begin to resist this, we begin to resist Satan. But then it's verse 17, they go, so that, what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ will dwell in your heart even more. And you think about dwelling. What exactly dwelling actually mean? Like, like we get the Holy Spirit. The minute you accept Christ as your Savior, you get the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes, let's be honest, we resist how much he gets. Like he can dwell in a few rooms in my heart, but not all of them. He can decorate a few. I mean, I'm not, I'm not letting him decorate them all. I mean, I want, I want a few of my own. And that's part of the issue is that we fight. We fight against it. We fight against God and letting him in. And it's interesting because the two different words that mean dwell is pitch a tent and take up residency. Do we allow the Holy Spirit to pitch a tent in your heart or to take up residency in your heart? Because pitching a tent, I mean, like you go to a hotel room, nobody goes in and rearranges the hotel room you're walking. I don't really like the bed there. I'm going to put it over there. I like the chair. I mean, nobody does that. You just go in and do your thing and you get out. But do we do that with the Holy Spirit? Do we allow him to have access to our lives, to our hearts? Or do we constantly resist the fact that I don't want him? I want that part of my life. I want to hang on to my, my love for money. I want to hang on to my love for men or women. I want, to, I want to hang on to my love for my family that's more important than everything else. I want to hang on to whatever, my education. I mean, do we just sort of hang on and, and stop God from getting there? Like, do we keep fighting him? And then he goes, and, then, and if you sort of let him in, and then he goes, then, and then it's that, that you then, the next one, halfway through 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth of his love. 
mean, think about that for a second. Why do oftentimes we struggle with God's love? Because we don't get it. We don't trust it. We don't believe it's good enough. It's not what I need. And so when you think about it, what does the idea of being rooted and grounded in love mean? I mean, it's all about the foundation. It's all about what we stand on. And here's the great thing about the American church today. And don't be offended. We're dumb. We don't get doctrine anymore. We don't understand the basis for what God. And the whole book of Ephesians, and Matt's going to be with you next week, and he's going to finish on through the next four chapters, not next week, but over the next couple of weeks. But the first part of Ephesians is all doctrine. It's all about what we believe, what God has telling us, and the foundation of who we are. That's what it is. And then he's going to start in the last half of Ephesians. It's all about how we apply that doctrine to our lives. He's talking about being children, or raising children. He's talking about marriages. He's talking about, I mean, like, but the reality is we need that foundation. So even when he's talking about we need to be rooted in the truth. We need to be rooted in the foundation of what we actually believe. And if you don't know what you believe, how in the world can you withstand what the Satan's coming at you with? Right? I mean, because let's be honest, Satan doesn't come out with you with a full lie. It's always partial lies. There's some truth in what he says, and then the rest is something else, and we get all, oh, we don't know what to do. And we get confused, and we sometimes walk sideways because we don't get it. And so when he's talking about that, we are being rooted and grounded in love. And grounded is obviously an architectural term, right? Have you ever built a, have you ever, anybody in here who's built something before? You build a solid foundation, else the thing is falling over. We've all built Legos with our kids or blocks, and if you start with a little base and build your way up, it's going to fall over, right? It's the same idea in our, in our faith. If we're not grounded in what God is teaching us, which is the Bible, how do you withstand what's coming at us? Because it's coming at us all the time, and Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to make you fall. And he says that so that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath length. Length, height, and depth of his love. I mean, think about it. Half of our problem is we don't get God's love. We don't understand it. It is so unfathomable, we can't comprehend it. But what he wants to give us is beyond what we think we need. And it's better than what we think we need. But yet, in order to do that, we have to have a foundation, right? We have to let the Spirit in our lives. I mean, it's sort of this progression, like this is what happens. So there's a quote by J. Montgomery Boyce died of many years ago of cancer, but he tells this story, which is a great story, about the, he- the height, depth, width, and length of God's love. He said he tells the story of an underground prison once used by the Spanish Inquisition, eventually opened by Napoleon's army, so it's a long time ago. Inside they, inside, inside they found the long dead remains of a man who had been in prison for his faith, the chain still binding his limbs. And on the wall besides him, perhaps with his last ounce of strength, he had scratched a rough cross, and above it, the Spanish word for height, below it, the word for depth, and on either side, width and length. And he had Paul's passage here in view, and he knows that the crucified, Christ's crucifixion for sin is an inexhaustible foundation of an endless love, and it sustained him. Like, so you think about it, in his, in this guy in darkness, in Spanish Inquisition was not a good thing, he scratched the cross to remind him of the love Christ has for him, in spite of the fact that he's in prison and died there in chains. And so often with us, our view of God's love depends on how well our lives are going. If our lives aren't going well, then God's love isn't very deep. It's not very high. It's not very wide. It's not very long. Right? Because we base it on how I feel. But we base it on how we feel because we don't have the doctrinal stability to know what it is that he's actually doing. Does God ever torture people for fun? Never. 
Does that, God ever bring horribleness in your life because he's bored and wants to entertain himself? Never. Right? And there are people in this church who have horrible stories of things that have happened, tragedies that have happened in your life, that, yes, are, will be painful and scarring for the rest of your lives. But does that mean God doesn't love you? Or that his love isn't great enough? No. Right? Some of this is to strengthen our ability to do what he is asking us to do, which is super hard. But if you understand the length and depth and breadth of God's love, everything is great. And everything has a purpose for the sake of glorifying God. Right? So we move on, and then the last one, halfway through 19, it says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, which is our goal, right, is to be absolutely encompassed by God. Every ounce of our flesh, our mind, our spirit, our heart is about God, and we are blessed to be there. I don't think most of us are there. And then we get there and we get out of there. And here's a great quote from this. is from uh, actually Tim Keller. Who, uh, if you know Tim Keller, he's a big famous guy who's from New York. And, and honestly, his church, he planted tons of churches. His whole group of people have probably influenced New York in ways that New York doesn't even understand. But he, he's, I mean, he's had, he's had you know, he has four-stage uh, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. And so he's doing an article, and this is what he said. He goes, Keller revealed that more than being afraid to die, he and his wife Kathy are more fearful about regressing spiritually. He said, if I get a real good diagnosis and a real good response to the cancer, and I do really well, live for a number of more years, we never want to go back spiritually to where we were before the cancer diagnosis. We never want to go back to that. Now think about that for a second. I mean, what he's saying is he got, in a sense, to the progression for whatever you want to call it, but he got to the point where he's full with the spirit. So much so that he would rather die of cancer and suffer than leave that part of his life behind. I mean, think about that for a minute. So in, so in love, whatever you want to use, connected to God, he doesn't want to lose that no matter what else happens. He'd rather die than lose that. Now, how many of us can actually say that? How many of us can actually think that? Not that you want to die because your life sucks and you're ready to move on, but... but you want to die because you don't want to lose that closeness you have with our Savior. Right? And so what Paul is actually, when he's going through this, he's reminding people, it, like, our walks with Christ is a progression. And here's what you need to understand. It's not about you. It's not about you getting to the next level. It's about God doing the work in you. Right? So let's be careful about that. It's about God doing the work in you. And typically, to get to the point where Tim Keller is, requires suffering, just so you know. Most people don't get there when life is peachy and rosy and all great, right? It's through sometimes trials and temptations and, and hardships that you get there. And the reality is, do any of us actually want that? No. But would you take that if it can bring you to a fuller love for Jesus? Interesting question. And he wraps up with this thing, and this is 20 and 21, and I think it's just a great reminder to us what he's actually been saying for the last, the last six chapters, for six verses. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. But think about that for one second. Like he just told us all these things about how to, in a sense, we can get closer to God, things we need in our lives. He says, 
And he can do far more abundantly than you can even imagine. Even imagine. Imagine right now you won the lottery, which is like 500 and some million dollars. I'll take it. Imagine how great your life could be. And that is nothing compared to what God is offering you. He's offering you something so great, you can't even imagine it. And he's trying to remind the Gentiles and the Jews his love for them. The fact that he sent the Spirit to what? To live within us and to help us become more and more looking like Christ. Right? And how do we do that? By letting God loose in our lives. Right? Quit holding back. Quit hiding him. Quit acting like he doesn't see it. I mean, let's be honest. If you want to sit here and maybe you can list all my sins, you can fire me when I'm done. But, but if I listed all my sins, oftentimes I think I'm getting away with it. Oftentimes I think God can't see it. Because I'm stupid. Like, we do it all the time. Like, he sees everything. Why do I think I'm faking him out? Like, I think he looked at my wife for a second, and then I'm out like, we're stupid in some senses, right? I mean, God already knows. Stop resisting. Stop resisting his call on your life. Stop resisting that you can do better. Look at your life. Do you think you can do better? Yes, you can do better. Right? We've all made mistakes. We all look back in our lives and thought, that wasn't very good. Adrian Martinez right now is thinking the same thing, right? Shouldn't have the past. It wasn't his fault. Special things, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but when you think about it, I mean, this whole passage is the fact that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a guarantee of our salvation, right? Which, which Matt covered in Ephesians 1. I think it's 1. A guarantee. And so you're not getting the Holy Spirit like you don't have him, but you're giving him freedom within your life. You're giving him freedom to do his work and stop resisting. I mean, so I have a brother and sister-in-law, and they literally lost a child at four years old. I think I've told the story before, but like they were playing in some water at a, at a lake house they owned and, and running, and all of a sudden their son started running sort of diagonally, and they're like, what is going on? And they ended up dying of a heart attack and, and not doing well, and, and he died. And like even now, they celebrate his birthday, they remember him. It's, it's, I mean, he'd be, no would be 16 or 17, right? Now, I think that's right. So my, one of my kids will correct me later. But 16 or 17, and like, but like his dying, they would tell you, in some sense, it was a blessing. I mean, think about it from here. Okay, we'll sleep in these. Um, you think about it, I mean, uh, that's hard to say, right? But for them, they realized they adopted two kids because of that. Their, their view of God and the grace God bestowed on them is far different than other people receive because of the pain they went through, right? And so when you think about these things, the Spirit is going to give you abundantly more than you think. He's going to give you the ability to deal and live and walk through things that you think I can never survive, right? And that's the whole, in this whole passage, he's talking about the Spirit moving closer and deeper and giving us the ability to withstand Satan. And it starts off with, he said, the first thing is doctrinally knowing what it is you believe. Knowing what God actually says about himself, that we understand it, that we know it, that we can look and go, I love you, that's totally wrong. 
Right? It's this idea of letting him free into your lives. It's like stop resisting. Because here's the deal. I so desperately would love to have experience that fullness of God. And I'm sure in moments I have, I don't feel like I live in that moment. I don't feel like that's where I live my life. Because I'm a sinner, and I like my life. And I resist things that God wants. Because I don't truly believe, in some senses, what he has offered me is greater. I mean, do you honestly believe what he's offering you is greater? Because that's what he's offering. He's offering us himself, in which it will be far more abundant than we can ever even imagine. Imagine you win the lottery. Like, literally imagine it. $523 million. You clear a check of four something. Million, $400 million. There was nothing you couldn't buy. There's nothing you couldn't have. And it would fix nothing wrong about your life. Will not fix your marriage. Won't fix your kids. Won't, maybe it would fix your job if you hated it because you didn't have to work in middle. <laughs> but it wouldn't fix a ton of things. And yet, for us, that feels like more of a goal than the fact is, rather than that oneness with God where we see the world like he sees the world. We love people like he loves people. That means that nobody would walk into your presence ever again without you thinking, I love you. I care about you, even if you're the worst person on the planet. So let me pray and then um, my Matt will come up here. Dylan, just thank you for the time we get together, Lord, and thank you for the fact that you do love us. And I, and I think of this passage a lot and just how you've already given us the Spirit. And this passage just talked about letting the Spirit free us. So let us give ourselves in sacrifice. Love because you first loved us. We want to love.